reading today is taken from John chapter 17, from verses 20 to 26. Jesus prays for all believers. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Thanks be to God. just like to do some comedy before I start. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I had it then. <sighs> Masks. I'm going to say it every time now, I think. Um, let me move into the middle-ish. Is that better? It's all right for you guys. I can stand anywhere. It's people at home I'm asking for. <laughs> so um, I mentioned earlier that t- Tom was absent. Tom isn't absent. Tom is at the cathedral with Jeff and Daniel because Jeff is being ordained today. And so I just thought we'd take a moment uh, to pray for Jeff and Annie and the family. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jeff and Annie and for the family and all that they've given to this church. We thank you that we were able to celebrate them last week. And today, as Jeff is ordained into the ministry for which you have called him, to shepherd your flock, to shepherd your people, would you anoint him by your spirit and pour out your love and comfort to him and the whole family. In your mighty name I pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, I get to close this sermon series, not because they particularly wanted me to, but because they're at the cathedral. So um, we'll see how we get on. <laughs> I, I actually, when I, when I write my sermon, I have, obviously, I write it on my computer because this is 2021, but I do like to um, sort of prep by writing it in, in pen and sort of, Loads of notes everywhere, random things that often I don't understand that I then just cut. Uh, and so my notes were hanging around the house, and Lydia found them, um, and Lydia was reading them very intently. <laughs> Lydia was moving the paper around. She's really into trying to, she's probably trying to figure out what way round words go, to be honest. And then she turned it back to front, and she laid it down, and she put her face very close. She studied it very hard. And then she threw her head back and cackled in laughter. And so, the bar is set. Okay, Lydia loved my talk. So, just wanted to point that out before we began. No pressure. 
Um, and so, as I said, I'm, I'm bringing this sermon series to a close, uh, our sermon series from fear to freedom. Um, and you may have noticed that on our journey through the upper room discourse, it doesn't really feel like the end point. This, this particular passage doesn't feel like, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, this isn't, this isn't the end point. This is, um, this is just not even the beginning of that particular part of the story in which we, we hold our faith. And so what on earth have we decided, why on earth have we decided to stop the sermon series here? I perhaps ask you wondering. Um, well, there's a tension here in this particular moment that we feel that we are in as a community, uh, as, as individuals, as a community, and as a church, um, and as a world. We are in this tension where there is still lots going on, there is still lots of suffering, uh, and we don't quite understand. And we feel like to stop it here, in this particular moment, helps us to understand that tension more than if we just get straight to the resurrection uh, and then we go, woo! Because we do, right? We go, woo! Because Jesus has done it. It is finished. It is complete. We are free. But we need to make sure that we understand this tension that we live in. Um, I heard a story this week of the Celtic tradition. Uh, and as, as the evenings would roll in, in the Celtic tradition, the darkness would come in. They would go to light the first lamp of the evening, but just before, they would strike the match. They would look directly into the darkness. They would look directly into the darkness, and they would say, I beg to differ. I beg to differ. They were not afraid of the darkness, because they knew the light. And that is our call, is to beg to differ with the darkness. The reality is that we are in this tension where people suffer, those that we love suffer, those around the world suffer in, in horrendous ways, and those neighbors that we have suffer, and we know that. And we ourselves, we can suffer, and we can find life really hard. The enemy, as Jeff said last week, seeks to wreak havoc and separate us from the very hope that we know we have. We are in a spiritual battle. But it has already been won. This battle has been won on the cross through the empty grave of Jesus. I don't know if you feel that tension right now. I'm going to just ask you to pause for a second and, and identify in your life where perhaps there is that tension, where you are in a spiritual battle, where you feel like, yes, I do know this hope, but why is this going on? Maybe it's something you've watched on the news. Maybe it's something going on with your family. Or maybe it's just something going on in your own heart. What is the spiritual battle happening in your life right now? So let's just uh, have a quick recap. Um, it's very quick. So we've been with the disciples the whole time. We've been with them in their conversations and dialogue with Jesus. This is the upper room discourse where Jesus is imparting his final wisdom. They thought they were coming for a lovely meal um, with Jesus. And then can you imagine being the receiver of, like, on the end of all this stuff that Jesus is saying? It would have been pretty confusing. So being with them through that confusion, through that tension, they know that, oh, hang on, something isn't right here. Something's about to happen. Jesus is saying uh, that he is going somewhere. We don't understand where that is. Um, what on earth is happening? It's an unknown situation. Do you feel 
like we are in an unknown situation still. With the third wave of COVID, with the chaos of the world, we can be quite confused at the unknown. And so we can understand some of those emotions that the disciples are going through. They came to dinner and they find out all these things that they weren't really expecting. Normally a dinner party have some nice chats, don't you? But this probably was a bit intense. So he starts by washing their feet. That's probably thrown them. He gives them the new commandments. So that's also thrown everything they ever knew. He answers their questions because, quite frankly, they're probably going to be quite confused. He tells them one of them's going to betray them. Sounds like a good dinner party, doesn't it? He starts going all gardener's question time on them and talks about the vine and the branches. He tells them that the world is going to hate them. I mean, give me an invite. He talks about the Holy Spirit coming to them when he goes, and they're thinking, whoa, hang on. (laughs) Hang on a minute. We sort of understood, but now we don't. And then after all of that, after all of those things that Jesus had done and said, he stops. And Jesus' posture changes. And it changes from conversation. And he begins to pray. They haven't really encountered Jesus praying in their earshot much before. Jesus normally took himself away. But this is the moment where Jesus prays for them. He prays for his, well, Jesus prays for himself first. And he prays for them, as Jeff told us last week. And it's almost tangible. Jesus prays for us. Jesus doesn't just pray for himself. He doesn't just pray for the disciples there and then. He prays for all believers. He prays for us. What a moment. Have you ever stopped to wonder at the unfathomable, remarkable nature of this prayer? That Jesus, the Son of God, is praying for us. It's amazing, right? We read this passage and we realize that Jesus prays for us. Or for one of a better word is, you are the topic of discussion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. How do you feel right now? And before you were even conceived, you were the topic of discussion of the Almighty God. And Jesus is praying that we, those who are to one day believe in him, will be drawn into that community. The tight-knit brought the world into being Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are to commune with them. We are to be in relationship with them. It says in in verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed. This wasn't what we read today, but this is the start of this whole passage of prayer. He looked towards heaven and prayed. Jesus moves his conversation to prayer. He looks from his disciples up to the Father and he prays. And you are part of that moment. And this is the posture we need to recall in this moment that Jesus is with us as he was with the disciples, but he is also with the Father. And later on in John 20, when the risen Jesus meets Mary Magdalene near to what was his tomb, he commissions her and he says, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God 
and your God. In the resurrection of Jesus, we see that bringing together, we see that he's bringing together and drawing us into the fullness of relationship with God from which we were so separate before that moment. My Father and your Father. My God and your God. We are finally reconciled. And in the Gospel of John, the, the world for which Jesus prays in this part we've read today is often a way of describing those people who oppose Jesus. So not only is he praying for those who will believe, he prays for those who will oppose Jesus, those who do not, who do not know Jesus yet and who are, who are against him or do not understand that he is from the Father. This is the last thing that Jesus prays for them this, in their presence. This is this moment in their presence that they hear him say he prays for those who oppose him, those who will hate them. Jesus asks for unity and love between those given to him and the Father so that the world may believe that you have sent me. It's the reconciliation of all things, of us to God of the world to God, of those who oppose to God, and of our physical world to God, and of us, importantly in this passage, to one another, to be reconciled to one another. But what, what does he actually pray? He prays that we're united with the Trinity, as I've said, so tightly woven into a relationship that others will know the glory of God because of it. If you are that intertwined with God, there'll be something about you that draws them to Jesus. That's actually the story of my faith. I'll share a bit in a second. He prays that we would be united with one another, that as believers, knowing that we are loved by God, would hold us together so that our relationships with one another will reflect our relationship with God. And others will know the glory of God because of us. As a teenager, I had friends. They were great friends. But then I met some people who believed in Jesus. And their friendships were different. Their friendships were something I wanted to be part of. And at the time, I didn't know that that was Jesus. But as you can tell, I've come to know that. Because their friendships were more than I'd experienced before. They loved each other in a different way, in a sacrificial way, in a way that didn't quite, wasn't, wasn't quite emulated in my other friendships. And Jesus prays for the world that those who reject and oppose him would know Jesus was the Son of God and know that they are loved by God even as God loved his own Son. I have a friend, and, and she's not a Christian, but if I offer to pray for her, she laps it up. <laughs> you know? Because when we pray, when we pray, for our friends and our family and for people we don't even know. It extends beyond that which we're able to do. It extends beyond our love and says, I'm bringing God's love into this scenario. I'm bringing God's love into this moment. You see, if we're to be a people who move from fear, I did it this way, didn't I? Fear <laughs> to freedom, we need to remember that we are in this tension. We can't ignore the tension that we live in. That's part of our call. We are not Jesus. We're called to be like Jesus. We're called to be with Jesus. But we are not Jesus. We can't live a perfect life in this broken world. 
but we can live a forgiven life and a free life in the hope and redemption of Jesus. The disciples were facing the unknown. They were confused. They were as we are in this particular moment. And now perhaps that's not actually where you're at. Perhaps you're ready. You are ready to go out there and share the gospel, to go out there and love people greater than we've been able to perhaps in the last year or 18 months now. But there's a tension there too. I mean, look at us. We're all all sitting with masks on. (laughs) That brings a certain tension to being together. But that is not how we're designed to be. We're not designed to be sitting here with our masks on, unable to hug, unable to shake hands. The world says that independence and individuality is to be strived for. And you are made uniquely in the image of God. But we're to do that in the context of community. We're to do that together, united together in his name and in his hope. I said earlier that we were engaged in a spiritual battle and if Jesus felt that one of the last things he wanted his disciples to hear, to share with them, to allow them into this precious moment where he prays, if that was what he wanted them to hear, this prayer, then we are to understand that there is a spiritual battle, that there are those who will oppose, that the enemy will pull us, seek to pull us apart and we are not called for that. We are called to unity, we're called to be together We know that Jesus has won. We don't sit here without hope because our hope is in Jesus. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension to heaven. And we believe that we are on the other side of the resurrection and we live in that. There is an intimacy in that moment where Jesus prays. There's an intimacy because of the tension. Because those disciples were confused and afraid. Jesus knows what it is for us to be in that tension and that is where we find him interceding for us. The gap between those moments before Jesus' death and his resurrection, he knew what was coming and he knew what we needed. He knew that we needed to belong to God, Father, Son and Spirit, to be caught up in that divine dance, the unity of God, to not do it on our own. And we need to do, we need the posture of prayer that lifts us, that lifts our eyes to God. Richard Foster writes that we need to allow ourselves to be gathered up into the arms of the Father and let him sing his love song over us. What is God's love song if it's not the sending of his son Jesus Christ to live and die for us? to rise again and bring us freedom from death, freedom from sin, and freedom that is tangible in even the most oppressive of situations. In Jesus' prayer today, we have become part of the most incredible love song. The most incredible love song that the world has ever heard. And Jesus also knew not only that we'd need to belong to the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, but that we would need to belong to each other. We would need to endure together, that we would need to endure life together. And enduring on our own is way harder. If we have learned anything this year, it's that enduring on our own 
is much more exhausting, is much more draining, and is not... I mean, in the beginning, I know some of us were probably like, woohoo, I don't have to go out. <laughs> but then as the weeks dragged by, you realize I need other people. I need to be in community. I need to celebrate my faith with other people. I need to pray with other people. It's fine on the phone. It's fine on FaceTime. It's not the same as being gathered together. Independence is something that we learn from childhood. I'm fully aware of this because Lydia is trying to learn to walk, and Lydia will not hold our hands to try and learn. Lydia will only do it by herself, or as Sandra says, on her own. I do it by my own. Hopefully one day she'll be walking and doing her, her life, not attached in the same way to her parents. But I don't want her to be estranged from me. I don't want her to be completely disconnected from me. We're to be connected to one another. We're to be shoulder to shoulder with each other, cheering each other on. This is the time for that. Some of us are weary. Some of us are feeling that tension more than others. Some of us are excited to get going, and we need to do that together. We don't have to be in agreement about how we're facing this moment, but we have to do it together to understand and learn from one another. John Tyson, uh, a Christian pastor, says that we are beholden, we are entrapped and caught up in the current, in the current of such a depth of independence that we barely ever notice. We're so caught up in this culture of independence that we just don't notice. And the architecture of our lives exists to facilitate individualism and independence, rather than facilitating this community that we're part of. And do you know what? We embrace it as a church too. In many ways, we do it without even noticing. We talk of our personal relationship with God so often that I think we forget we are a collective people. We are a family of God and we hold our faith together. And do you know why we do that? Because some of us are weary and some of us are struggling and others are not. And we need each other. In these last moments and conversations that we've been studying in this series, what is it that Jesus commands his disciples to do? Is it to make sure that, that they have a really good personal relationship with Jesus? Or is it to love God and love one another? It's really challenging because we are so woven into this culture of independence of independence, excuse me. We need to love one another as God loves us. And love each other in such a way that we're set apart so much. Not because we're weird, as Liz said the other day. Not because we're strange, but because we love on such a level that other people want to be part of it. John Tyson also says that we are to be part of a community in a web of stubbornly loyal relationships. Isn't that brilliant? Stubbornly loyal. You are loyal to your relationships with one another, not because you agree, but because you are in Christ. Knotted together in a living network of people who are committed to practicing the way of Jesus together. Committed to practicing the way of Jesus together for the renewal of the world. You see, Jesus knew we would need each other and that his sacrificial love would draw us back into community, not only with each other, but with God. And it takes hard work. Because of Jesus, we are now reconciled. And I cannot say that enough. We are now 
We, have now, we are now living in that moment of winning. We, we are the winner. We are winners. You know? we, we're in that spiritual battle, but we have already won. And that's the tension. It's the now. We know it. We know the hope. We've got the spoiler of that story. And yet, we still live in a broken world. Because the world still opposes us. The reality is that Jesus has never left us. He has never left us. He sits in the room with us and he prays for us to the Father. We are no longer separated from God. We are free to be in relationship. And so as I bring this sermon series to a close, I really want to weigh in on the point of that tension that we feel because that is normal. That is a normal part of being a Christian. That is a normal part of following Jesus. That in this world we will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And so that's the fear that we feel, right? Sometimes that tension can move us to fear rather than to freedom. It's not a case of we begin in freedom, uh, we begin in fear, and we end in freedom. It's a continual pattern in our lives that we move. If we move out of the presence of God, we end up in fear. But if we hold fast to the truth that it is done, that God has completed all that he intended to do through Jesus in the redemption of our sin and the winning over death, that he wants to work through us to see the rest of the world understand that love too, if we hold on to that, then we will know freedom. We aren't like the disciples. They didn't know. but we're like the disciples in that we feel that tension. We need to remember Jesus' posture of prayer as his great love leads him not only to pray for us, but to stretch his arms out on the cross, to take the weight of everything that we have done and will do, and to cry out to his Father. Forgive them, they know not what they do. Forgiveness is our freedom. And forgiveness comes at that moment that Jesus raises to life again and says to Mary Magdalene, go, tell them, I'm going to my father, to your father. To my God, your God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that your posture is towards us and towards the Father, that we are not alone, that we are, we are here in your presence today, that you sent your spirit, that we've learned through this, through this time of teaching, that we have learned your spirit is with us, your spirit goes with us, your spirit comforts us. We thank you that though we live in the tension, as, as Sharon prayed, the tension of being in the world but not of the world that you are there with us. And so, Father, I pray that right now you would minister to everyone. Everyone sitting here today, everyone sitting at home, anyone watching this service at some point, 
that you would minister to their hearts within that tension, that they would know they are caught up in the most beautiful love song the world has ever known. Pour out your love, we pray in Jesus' name.